BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good evening, I'm Dr. Gina and this is Primetime. Joe Biden has been sworn in and he is now the president of the United States. His speech at the inauguration today was a lot about unity and here's a little of it. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy. Unity. Unity. And President Trump is now at his South Florida home, just a few blocks away from where I sit at this moment, Mar-a-Lago. But before he left Washington, D.C., he gave a farewell speech at Joint Base Andrews. And here's a little bit of what he had to say there. I will always fight for you. I will be watching. I will be listening. And I will tell you that the future of this country has never been better. I wish the new administration great luck and great success. I think they'll have great success. They have the foundation to do something really spectacular. And again, we put it in a position like it's never been before, despite the worst plague to hit since I guess you'd say 1917, over a hundred years ago. And despite that, despite that, the things that we've done have been just incredible. And I couldn't have done them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. Always the optimist, uh, always the encourager, always inspirational. And I want to speak specifically tonight uh, to the Trump supporters because I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always heard from those who support the president, the former president now, uh, is I've always heard follow his lead. So many times I've heard this, and yet today I heard so many out there in social media say, this is such a depressing day. Um, and on some levels it is. Yesterday was really hard. It was hard for me uh, talking to him night before last on the telephone as I did, and I talked about here on this show. That was hard for me. Um, getting through the show last night was really hard because I think I was dreading this day like so many of you were. But today was like a bright, sunshiny day contrasted by the dark emptiness of Washington, D.C. As I uh, was, was watching what was happening in Washington, D.C., uh, but experiencing what was happening here in Palm Beach, Florida, I couldn't help but notice the contrast. I often take weather as a sign from God, even when I shouldn't. I've always been very sensitive to weather. Part of the reason why I have ended up in sunny places like San Diego and Palm Beach, Florida. I probably shouldn't take weather so much as I do uh, to heart, but I do. Anyway, the desolate dreariness of Washington, D.C. that was so 
deeply contrasted by the bright, sunny sunshine and the freedom of Florida and the crowds here lining the streets, smiling and greeting our president and his homecoming was so profound to me and felt so positive and so happy that I couldn't help but be in a great mood today. And there were hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, who lined the streets. And, and yet I had people commenting and texting to me, telling me, thank you for being strong and positive for me on a day that felt very depressing otherwise. And I kept being surprised by that because the people I was around were all in, a, in an upbeat mood. If they could have seen, if you could have seen, President Trump today, how genuine his smile seemed, how relaxed he seemed, seeing him in the presence of his family and his home that he loves, and all that he left, by the way, to go and give and serve this nation, I think you would have felt a little bit differently. Moving to Florida and becoming a citizen of Palm Beach and a member at Mar-a-Lago has always seemed like somewhat of a, a crazy dream to me that I certainly never thought would be reality in my life. I'm from the Ozarks, an Ozarks girl, and I still think of myself very much that way. My husband even still makes fun of how much redneck is in my soul. And by the way, I'm very proud of that fact, and uh, I, I pride myself in that most of all, by the way. Um, but my reality now is that I get to see the world where this president has his playground and everything that he gave up to go to Washington, D.C., to serve as our president, to take a thousand knives in his back every single day, to be mocked, to be plagiarized, to be lied about, to be falsely accused. The list goes on and on and on. To be treated like a virtual criminal in what should have been, what should have been an honoring position. So something about sitting there today and watching this family back in their casual outfits uh, after they got out of the motorcade, of course, uh, walking around, enjoying one another on the beautiful green grass at Mar-a-Lago there in the bright, shiny Florida sunshine in a free state with everyone around them, loving on them, complimenting them, telling them how much they appreciate what they've done. While also, always as I do, having my app open, as I hope you do too, with the Real America's Voice app up all the time, uh, watching our coverage of what was happening in Washington, D.C., and seeing all the activities there, and the dark, dreary, empty deadness of Washington, D.C., a virtual, militarized zone, and comparing and contrasting that situation versus what I was looking at helped me to see God still has his favor on Donald J. Trump and his family and this movement. Our nation needs Donald Trump more than he ever needed us. And maybe that's what God wanted us to see through this period of time. See, I still believe that God has his hand on our nation. And of course, I believe he created this nation as a beacon for the world. And I believe that nothing no election, whether or not you believe it was free and fair, whether or not you believe something went wrong there, I believe nothing changes the will of God. And I believe that even our founders understood that from time to time, we would need to relearn the lessons that inspired those who sacrificed the most to give us this nation. So patriots, perhaps this is one of those times. Some of us who fought the hardest to have every, re would, would to have what we, what we wanted to have, to have the re-election of President Trump, 
have absolutely every reason to feel discouraged in this time. And I certainly would not take away your grieving process. In fact, I've said, as someone with a background in human behavior, I feel like it's important that you go through that grieving process. It's an important thing that you let yourself feel those feelings and don't deny them. But I don't want you to feel discouraged for long. I want you to be future focused and to think about what is coming next because America always has a bright future ahead. And I saw that today in the most clear contrast that I've seen for a long, long time. And I only wish that you could have been with me to see it too. Because after the dark days that I experienced for the last few days, today just felt like I turned a page. And I just wish that you all could have seen it too. Uh, especially when I looked at social media and saw how differently a lot of people were feeling after watching what we all saw happen in Washington, D.C. So I want you to know that, and I want you to have some reassurance through that. And I'll try to give you as much encouragement, much encouragement, but also all the reality that we possibly can. And to head that up, of course, we have some of the best guests on this show tonight. We're going to have John Solomon in the house with some breaking news that's going to blow your mind, just as he always does. And right now, we're going to head to our hosts and correspondents around America, first to Washington, D.C., where Carrie Sheffield is standing by. Carrie, what do you have for us tonight? Hey there, Dr. Dana. Yes, want to let you know about the latest on justthenews.com. We have an in-depth look. It's a list that the White House released of all of the policy wins from the Trump administration. And let me tell you, this is a long list. You're talking about hundreds of items. We have the entire list there on our website that you can go through. Some of the major policy wins are looking at the vaccine, for example, the compressed timeline of how quickly the COVID vaccine was passed. It was in record time in just nine months when typically this could have taken five, 10, who knows how long, years. The other issues about Middle East peace, for example, the crushing of ISIS, the killing of foes like Soleimani, the regulatory reforms and also the tax reforms and just the unprecedented economic growth for many groups from African-Americans to Latinos and women, historic unemployment lows that were seen before the pandemic. The president has an extensive list. Again, we uh, recommend your viewers to take a look if they really want to go through and review all that was done under the Trump watch. Another issue was the issue of energy independence. For the first time in more than 70 years, the Trump administration brought America to be independent, that we were net exporters of oil, that the energy dependence that we had on other countries was not there. The other issue of foreign policy on NATO donations. So the president was able to extract more funding for NATO, that important body, the, the uh, countries that had under their own charter, uh, been required to give more to NATO. They weren't doing it until President Trump came into office. That does it for us. Back to you, Dr. Gina. All right, Carrie, still reaping those benefits, and we will be for a while, and we'll be vocal when we're not. So let's head out to Jessica Rivera out in Denver. Jessica, what are you working on today? Well, Dr. Gina, since the inauguration is now behind us, many Americans are wondering, what will the difference really be between a Trump and a Biden administration? Well, the foundational differences are stark. President Trump was the most pro-Israel president in U.S. history. He protected the rights of the unborn and our Second Amendment. He always chose America over China or any other country, for that matter. President Trump supported police, military, strong borders, religious freedoms, tax cuts, affordable health care options, working class jobs, American manufacturing, American energy independence, prison reform, American patriotism, 
the belief that all lives matter and the American dream, whereas Joe Biden is very much pro-Iran, anti-Israel, pro-abortion and pro-illegal immigration. Biden supports government control over much of business, guns and health care. The Biden administration is expected to be pretty pro-China and they want to defund the police, military, border security and prisons. And many of Biden's policies will be based on race, anti-patriotism, extreme climate change interest and the removal of religious rights. So those are the differences in a nutshell. And they couldn't be more opposite, even if we tried. Now, how will this all play out over the next four years remains to be seen. But one thing is for certain, some drastic changes are coming to many Americans. You make a great point, Jessica, and I, I watched our coverage today. I thought all of our hosts did such a phenomenal job of pointing out that while Joe Biden talked a lot about unity. He did have a great opportunity at several points to, you know, to extend a hand to Trump supporters and to even mention Trump supporters by name, but he didn't. And, uh, and there were several other, uh, you know, things that he could have said to perhaps bring a little bit of that unity. I didn't hear it. Did you, Jessica? I didn't either. I think right now a lot of people, Trump supporters, are seeing it's just in words. We'll have to see if it plays out in actions. I don't think that it will. But of course, we're human. It could. I could be wrong. And I hope that I am wrong. But we'll have to see in the coming days and the coming years. Yeah, we all have hope at the beginning of a presidency. I remember being very hopeful at the beginning of the Obama presidency that race relations would once and for all be solved. And that really didn't happen. So, But I still am hopeful uh, for the Biden uh, presidency that, that he can uh, keep his pledge of unity and in some way uh, welcome in the other half of the country. <laughs> so, Jessica, thank you so much for your coverage. Always appreciate you. Welcome. And now on out to Amanda Head, who has been braving the cold all day long and uh, braving the inauguration. I guess you'd say inauguration activities, although there haven't been a lot of them. Uh, she's been out there on the Capitol grounds today. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Jeannie. Yes, it is a chilly night. It has been a chilly day. We had intermittent clouds and even some snow, but we had a packed deck up here on the roof. Lots of media folks up here, of course, overlooking the Capitol where there was a crowd of, I don't know, maybe 150, 200 folks, obviously members of the administration, family members and members of Congress. But it was very eerie to see everything so spaced out and of course the the national mall is empty for many people even the grassy area between the national mall and the capitol that was empty as well just a few seats that were scattered out in front of the capitol uh, and that was pretty much it so it was very very strange to see as far as joe biden's speech um i was i was underwhelmed i'm not gonna lie um, in the interest of unity i had hoped that he would say something maybe about the suppression of free speech. Obviously, we as conservatives have a lot of concerns about his administration and, of course, those 12 uh, EOs that he signed, signed on day one to shove down the throats of the American people, nothing like that in the interest of unity. But I had hoped that he would also talk about censorship of free speech. Um, that is something that is of growing concern on our side because it seems that the suppression of dissenting opinions really seems to go only one way. So if you really want to unify the nation, Joe Biden, I think it's probably time for both sides to actually chat about what we believe, but we can't do that if you keep shutting us down and silencing us. So 
There's going to be a lot to see in the next few weeks to really kind of set the tone for this administration, and we will be watching. Well, Amanda, uh, again, we appreciate you being out there all day as you were and uh, especially braving the cold and especially for something that doesn't seem it was altogether that inspiring <laughs> or even interesting. But uh, we're glad you did it. So that way we are up to date. And now out to Nick Vallisi from Just the News. Nick, what are you working on tonight at our partners there at Just the News? Well, I've been covering a lot in terms of the speech and then the reactions to the speech. And then of course, what's going on in the Senate, we have new senators sworn in, Ossoff, Warnock, and Padilla from California. So uh, we have a Democratic Senate right now. And, and we have Bernie Sanders, who is speaking after the inauguration speech, talking about how he's the incoming uh, chairman of the budget committee and he's already talking about using budget reconciliation to get some big legislative priorities through the Senate for Biden. He said, basically, if the Republicans don't play ball with the uh, Democrats on issues like the federal minimum wage was one that he specifically pointed out. If they don't want to play ball, then the Democrats are going to go forward with raising the minimum wage to at least $15 per hour. That was a specific policy point that he made. So in the message that Biden had, when you look at unity, we already have people like Bernie Sanders, who's going to be in a, a stronger position than he is now in the Senate, already talking about doing things alone without the Republicans. So is that the interpretation that Biden's looking for from his own party when he talks about unity and bipartisanship? I'm not sure. We'll, we'll have to see how this all plays out. Maybe maybe by the word unity, Nick, uh, Joe Biden means unity among his own group of liberals. I don't know, because I sure didn't hear any, any uh, olive branches extended today, and it doesn't appear that uh, they're looking for any ways to extend olive branches uh, to Republicans going forward. But Nick, we do appreciate that update. Thank you so much. Thank you. And coming up, John Solomon has some big breaking news. He is next. More Dr. Gina primetime coming up. Stick around. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Dr. Sheena Primetime. Now, just before President Trump left the White House, he declassified a stack of Russiagate documents. The headline over at Just the News says, First Trump declassified Russia document Christopher Steele's 2017 confession to the FBI. And the man who's been on top of this from the very beginning, the founder of Just the News, John Solomon. John, thank you so much for being here. John, tell us Great about the here. documents yeah, always good to have you. Uh, John, tell us about the documents that have been released so far. 
They're pretty extraordinary documents. Uh, the most important one, I think, for the American public is a 26-page debriefing memo when the FBI, a year after they fired Christopher Steele, terminated him as a confidential source because he had been leaking to the media. They brought him back and said, hey, we're trying to understand, what were you up to? And there are some extraordinary revelations in there. Perhaps the most important is his motive for putting out the entire Clinton Russia, excuse me, the Trump Russia collusion story. He said he wanted to help Hillary Clinton uh, overcome her uh, email scandal. It was still barbling at the end of the campaign. James Comey had reopened the case. Hillary was worried it might ruin her chances of becoming president. So he, that was one of his motives for leaking the false Russia narrative story. The second motive is even more interesting. He said that he considered Trump his primary opponent. That's his words. And that uh, he was concerned that Trump would be bad uh, for his home country. Remember, he's a foreigner. He's not an American. He's a British citizen, a former MI6 agent. And so he admits that part of his reason for influencing the election with the, what turned out to be a bogus Russian collusion story was to help Great Britain because he thought Hillary Clinton would be better for his country than Donald Trump. Remarkable, because when you think about this, the Russia collusion story started with the idea that Donald Trump was colluding with a foreigner to influence the election. And it ends with Hillary Clinton uh, uh, consorting with a foreigner, Christopher Steele, and influencing our election. The entire storyline has been flipped on its head as we get these final declassified documents. So, yes, but the question always then follows, and, and the answer always then seems like it should be apparent, but it never actually comes in terms of anything tangible. But will anyone be punished, John Solomon? Oh, man, that's a $64,000 question. I've, uh, I've checked my magic ball many times. I have not been able to get an answer. There's clearly evidence that John Durham is building a case. Here's what I think is most important about the criminal issue. Where is there criminal? It is now abundantly uh, clear that the Russia collusion story was a political dirty trick in which uh, the Clinton campaign used the FBI the CIA, the intelligence apparatus of the United States, to create a false story to quote-unquote vilify Trump. That's the words that the CIA actually used. And they did so, and when they did so, the FBI engaged in this dirty political trick, and they misled the FISA court, they misled the Congress. I have talked to many members of Congress said, we didn't know this stuff, you just reported. Uh, that misleading could very well be a criminal act, and it looks to be knowing and willful. So let's see if John uh, Durham can actually bring some of those FBI leaders to justice in his final round of work. He, he's definitely rounding things up. There's a lot of activity I'm hearing about. Let's see if it results in some accountability in the form of indictments. Okay, and there are more that we can expect to come? Oh, yes, there are thousands upon thousands of pages that we've obtained. So far, it appears that Just the News is the only news organization to have gotten a set of these documents before Trump left town. And so we're going to be writing day by day. And so tomorrow morning, when people wake up, when they come to Just the News, when they come to Real America's Voice, they'll see this new revelation. The FBI, in late 2014, as Hillary Clinton was gearing up her campaign to run for president in 2016, they opened a significant investigation in which they believed they had enough evidence to prove a foreign power was going to route large sums of money to Mrs. Clinton's campaign in an effort to gain influence to curry favor with her. The FBI developed enough evidence to create a FISA warrant. They wanted a FISA warrant. We now know what that is, thanks to Carter Page in the Russia case. It's uh, the yep. most awesome uh, intelligence tool the FBI has to surveil people without their knowledge. And for months, at least four months, maybe five months, the FBI agents working the case could not get the FISA approved. They were told the seventh floor of the FBI, 
James Comey and his deputies were, were blocking it. So an agent complains to Comey and says, what's going on here? This is an important national security threat. Comey says, I know nothing about it. I'll try to get smart about it. That's his word in his email. They never get the FISA warrant, according to these documents. And instead, they turn around and they give Hillary Clinton a defensive briefing, warning her about this threat and say, hey, just be careful. It's the exact opposite of what they did to Donald Trump. They gave him no defensive briefing. They did get a FISA warrant based on false information. We now know if you want to see how the FBI treated two candidates entirely differently with the same foreign influence threat, these documents tomorrow will really drive it home. And again, any reprisal, anything going to happen to anyone responsible for this in the FBI? Uh, uh, there will be nothing about the Hillary Clinton part of it. In fact, one could argue, and I've talked to several FBI officials today since I got these documents, that the way they did the Hillary Clinton campaign was the right way to do things. If you don't think the candidate themselves involved, give them a defensive briefing and protect the country. Don't turn it into the silly scandal that Russia was. The fact is they didn't do that for Donald Trump. They showed uh, um, uh, basically a bias and not help, helping him protect himself against these allegations. Will anyone get punished? No. Did some people already get fired? Yes. Uh, the big question is, those who really engaged in misleading the court, will they be charged with a conspiracy to deceive a court, a conspiracy to deceive Congress? That is the case that the Durham is looking at. It's a very big, serious charge. Uh, I think we're going to know the answer to that by early March. Okay, John, I'm going to ask you a layman's question in layman's terms, because I know my audience is wondering. Sure. Is there a way that the Biden administration can stop further release or further pursuit of these remaining documents? Well, uh, they'll have to find me first. That'll be the first thing. I, I don't think so. I mean, they could. Could they reclassify them? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Was there some talk about that earlier this week in circles I was reporting in? Yes. The latest I've heard from the FBI is they have no intention to do so. They're not going to ask for a reclassification. They understand that the documents have been released, at least to me, and that uh, I think we'll have the uh, uh, duty and obligation to get them to the American people, make them understandable, post them day by day as we do the reporting, and make sure we responsibly treat them. But I think for the next 20, 30 days, we'll have many revelations that we can share here on Real America's Voice and to post the documents for everybody to see. Right now, I don't think there's any effort afoot to, to thwart that effort. All right, John. We always appreciate your great reporting. We always learn so much. And uh, we know exactly um, we know exactly what was happening four years ago at this point in the Trump presidency. James Comey and others in the Department of Justice were engaging in a spy operation against Trump on Inauguration Day 2017. Just moments before Donald Trump was sworn in, Obama's national security advisor, Susan Rice, uh, sent an yeah. email to herself, which is such an odd thing to do, uh, saying that President Obama wants the investigation into Trump done by the book. And we also know from your reporting on the declassified notes from Peter Strzok uh, that uh, Joe Biden came up with the idea to investigate General Flynn by using the Logan Act. Uh, so I think it's important to remember exactly what was happening four years ago and how Trump was treated as he was entering the White House. That's looking at exactly where we are right now, John. Um, so I guess my question to you is, what are the chances that Trump started the same sort of sabotage that Obama did to his administration to this administration now? 
Zero chance. I just don't think it's in the Trump uh, team's uh, DNA to do such a thing. You know, one of the things the president told me why why he was declassifying these documents, because he doesn't want any other president to undergo what he did, to go through the suffering, the derailing of his policies, the false accusations, the slowing down of his administration's priorities, because the FBI participated in a dirty trick with a political campaign. I think Donald Trump's entire goal in releasing these documents was not to create a new scandal or to hamper Joe Biden. It was to make sure no other president ever again faces the, um, the injustices that occurred in this case. And John, I guess last question, I want to give you a chance to comment on uh, the big events of the day. Well, we had a peaceful transition, just like uh, we've done every time in American history. Uh, we had some wonderful National Guardsmen and women here. I've got to meet many of them, and we're just so lucky that they're on our team, Team America. Most important thing, I think, is that Joe Biden made a call for unity, which sounded great until you listen to the rest of the speech, where he spent the rest of the, the speech denigrating uh, Trump and his policies, and also warning. Uh, he made the comment that democracy prevailed, which I think was a poke in the finger or an eye poke uh, for many of the Americans who voted for Trump, uh, who have questions about the way this election was conducted. But the real question will be, can he bring this country together? And we'll know from his actions, his words, and how the American public um, reacts. One thing that we had today at Just the News, a poll. Only 49% of Americans believe the election irregularities questions have gotten an honest and fair hearing. Half the country doesn't. That's a problem that Joe Biden has to solve. John Solomon, thank you so much as always. Thanks, Gina. Coming up, we're going to talk to somebody who was behind the scenes helping build the Trump legacy and whether it can last the next four years of the Biden administration. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Now, as President Trump leaves the White House and starts this new chapter in his life here in South Florida, only blocks away, as I've said, we now look to examine the Trump legacy. The headline over at Just the News says this, Trump begins reclamation of his legacy with a list of policy wins from COVID vaccine to Middle East peace. Last night, the White House posted a long list of accomplishments over at whitehouse.gov that was promptly removed at, removed at noon today. But just because the site was scrubbed, that doesn't mean we've forgotten what President Trump has done for America. And I'm pretty sure, I'm going to ask my next guest, but I'm pretty sure that promiseskept.com is probably still out there somewhere. Here to discuss executive director of the Donald Trump 2020 Presidential Campaign Committee, Michael Glasner. Michael, first of all, my most heartfelt congratulations on the most successful presidency, certainly in our lifetime, if not in our history. Thank you so much for all of your hard work, tireless work, and, uh, and, and just congratulations on an amazing, uh, amazing administration. Thank you, Dr. Gina. It's been an incredible honor to work for this president in this country. Like you said, 
his accomplishments are unbelievably legion. He's uh, led this country in a way it's never been led before. You know, it's really hard to believe that you look at his list of accomplishments and it's hard to believe that he fit, you know, that much into only four years because the guy works tirelessly for the, his country. He loves his country. And you can really tell uh, from the accomplishments that, you know, we're now reviewing. And I think history will look very favorably on them. Uh, and it's really incredible what he's done. It's just an honor to be a part of it. And uh, Dr. Gene, I also wanted to thank you your incredible steadfast support for the president. I know you've been with him since day one and uh, your support's really been incredible, very important to him and his family, I know. Thank you so much, Michael. Unprecedented economic boom, COVID vaccine in record time, huge tax cuts, secured the border, uh, you know, peace in the Middle East. The list goes on and on. Um, everyone's concern at this moment, looking at the priorities of this Biden administration, how much of this can be dismantled by an incoming administration? Well, I think there'll be an effort, you know, on the left uh, that now, you know, controls the House and have had a very narrow, you know, majority in the Senate. And then the Biden administration itself, I think the left has been waiting a long time to unleash their agenda. Uh, the problem is that their ideas have been rejected repeatedly in the past. So I've, I've been in this business a very long time. This was my sixth presidential campaign. So most of the ideas they're rolling out, you know, have been tried before. And they're kind of the tired leftist uh, playbook. So I think we'll see a similar outcome. My hope is that, you know, particularly since the Republicans did so well in the House this past election, and that, you know, that's such a narrow majority in the Senate uh, for the Democrats that you know, Republicans will band together will be as unified as the Democrats have been. And will be able to slow down and stop you know, most of this radical agenda that's being proposed uh, for the Democrats. So I think it's going to be harder than it seems today uh, in this honeymoon. You know, the media, the mainstream media has launched for Joe Biden. I think it's going to be harder than they think it is and harder than it seems to undo much of what the president's accomplishments, because they're so deeply embedded in our culture now, in our country, and 75 million people that voted for him believe in that, support that. So I think it'll be a uh, tougher road than they think it's going to be, at least I hope it is. Mm -hmm. Well, Michael, one of the, my biggest fears, certainly during the Obama administration, I remember laying in bed, worrying at night about a terrorist attack here at home, and the defeat of ISIS erased that worry from my mind, uh, thanks to the work of the president and your administration. And that is such a big deal to moms like me in America, um, you know, and and. And, I, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why the president's support with women raised so, so high in 2020 and why he, so many more women were supportive of this president. Um, we didn't have to worry about that anymore. That, that worry was literally wiped off of our list. And, um, you know, that, that goes along with so many other things that this president changed about our lives for the better. But um, is that something that you believe we'll have to worry about again, especially with it seems like that almost being a priority of Joe Biden? It's one of the very first things he mentioned um, is that, you know, he, he, he firmly believes that Donald Trump's decisions uh, were based on some sort of uh, phobia. Of, of Islam and not based on a concern about terror, when in fact, every decision that President Trump made um, was really, he used the list, you know, they love to call it the, the, the Muslim ban, but it was based on a list that 
Barack Obama created, correct? Correct. So that's, you know, again, this is a good example of sort of the hypocrisy of the left is that, you know, they take their own policies and try to flip it and uh, demonize the right. So, you know, that's that's one good example of it. This list of, uh, you know, predominantly Muslim countries that President rightly uh, limited travel because, you know, these are people that want to eradicate us and our way of life. So it's really rather ridiculous. The other one that's, you know, related to that is the the policy you know so-called putting children in cages that the you know the left right. um, tried to abuse the president and his supporters about which again was a obama policy obama administration built those cages put them in them even you know at the time the ridiculousness of the mainstream media was that they were showing footage accusing trump of abusing families that was from the obama era so you know it's kind of ridiculous i i agree with you you know Ray, Ronald Reagan had a policy uh, that was you know, widely celebrated called peace through strength. And I think President Trump had that same policy. The investment you know, that he led in our military really deterred our enemies from uh, daring to attack us on our own soil, which had been done previously largely uh, under President Clinton's uh, watch, that planning for it in any case. So I think that that's you know, another important uh, stool in the Trump agenda. The other... Um, the other thing that's extremely important, again, related to the border, is that, you know, our border security is our national security. You know, right now there's a large uh, contingent of illegal uh, immigrants that are seeking to enter the United States. Joe Biden told them they would be safe here for 100 days. So that that's emboldened them to cross our border. That's a serious national security uh, issue that, again, is misguided policy from the left and could, you know, endanger our country and embolden our enemies. So. I think it's just, you know, our view of the world and this, and President Trump's view is so different view of security. You know, economic security is national security and it's just not understood on the left. And I think, uh, you know, I, I sincerely hope and pray for the sake of our country that there is no uh, terrorism, you know, from outside brought to bear upon us. Uh, but I do fear that these policies that have failed in the past could embolden our enemies abroad. I think uh, President Trump will be most remembered for his Middle East peace deal, something that was said could never be done. And I have to admit, I didn't think it could be done, but he made it happen, didn't he? Is this something that you feel is also in peril? hundred uh, percent. I think the Abraham Accords, because they were so radically different from the failed approaches of the past, you know, uh, legions of presidents have sought peace in the Middle East. Uh, through again, they used the tired, the same old playbook of trying to appease the the PLO and uh, you know act as if they're our friends uh, when they're they're just not. They're not a friend of Israel. So I think that you know the alliances that were built through the Abraham Accords, I believe, will be lasting primarily because they're in the interest of both the country, the you know the countries that are involved, right, Israel and their neighbors. So I think it's uh, going to be very very difficult for them to to unwind those. The primary th threat in the Middle East continues to be Iran. So I think that, you know, the primary fear I have and that many uh, supporters of Israel have is that uh, the Biden administration will attempt to re-enter some kind of, uh, you know, ridiculous deal with Iran that'll again endanger not only Israel, but its neighbors and even its new alliances with uh, other Middle Eastern countries. So again, I think, you know, Israel is a strong independent force on its own. Again, you know, there are America's its number one ally and they are ours. But I don't think I think that the new 
kind of power structure in the Middle East is will stay for the long term. At least I pray so for the peace and security of the people of Israel. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us on this very momentous day in so many ways. Michael Glasner, we appreciate it. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you for your service to you. Thank you as well. Coming up, what is the future of the GOP? We're going to talk about it with Daryl Scott and Bruce Lavelle. More Dr. Gina Primetime will come at you right after this. Stay with us. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, welcome back to Dr. Sheena Prime Time. As Democrats take power and Republicans are back in the minority, will the establishment GOP try to go back to Bush-style Republicanism? Can they? Well, here to discuss the host of SmackDown with Daryl Scott, Daryl Scott himself, and the executive director of the National Diversity Coalition for Trump, Bruce Lavelle. I have to say, I'm so excited to be flanked by these two guys. It is like life coming full circle. I think probably about four years ago today, we were probably standing together. <laughs> and uh, it's so good to have these good friends of mine here on the show. Daryl, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, do you think the GOP is going to try to go back to the old? I mean, I know they're going to try. Let's put it this way. They're already trying uh, to go back to. They, they, they would love nothing more than to like crown the Bush family and the Romney family as the kings of the Republican Party and, and go back to those days. But will the people have that? That's more the question. No, if they do that, they can give up any uh, hopes of gaining any seats and winning any elections. You know, the one thing that uh, 2020 has uh, emphasized regarding the Republican Party is the Republican Party has to be more effective in their outreach to African Americans. Uh, case in point, let's look at Georgia. Georgia has 10 million residents, 3.2 million of them are black, 7.6 million registered voters, 2.4 million of them black. They did no campaigning to the black community yep. at all. Amen. We tried Amen. to encourage uh, Kelly Loeffler and Purdue to campaign in the yep. black community, and they didn't do it. And so yep. here's, the, here's the misnomer, and here's a myth that a lot of people on our side perpetrated, and a lot of people bought it uh, during the Trump administration. They said the black community just slavishly gives its votes away to the Democrats. Nothing can be further than the truth. The Democratic Party actively solicits the black vote. Well, during yep. this past campaign, uh, I, I watched Joe Biden. Joe Biden campaigned on every black network, every black mm -hmm. publication. He went on mm -hmm. all the black radio shows, the black television yeah. shows. The Democratic Party courts the black community like a man trying to court a woman to get something out of her. Now, once the Democratic Party gets what it wants out of the black community, they won't court them for the next four years or until the next election. But this myth that the black community just gives its vote away, it's not the truth. And now this sleeping giant has woke up. The black community realizes the effectiveness yep. of its vote. And they want to vote conservatively, but we have to solicit it and let them know their vote mm -hmm. is wanted, desired, needed, and appreciated on the Republican side. And we can do that. President Trump understood it. That's why he mm -hmm. got historic levels of support. The rest of the party needs to catch up with him.
That's right. Amen. No, no I, I, and I completely agree with you on that. You were, I remember you yelling on this show about that, uh, you and Bruce both, and then talking to me personally about that during that Georgia Senate race um, before it was all over and saying, you know, that's where, that's where they needed to go. But instead the GOP uh, went to Amelia Island and had a retreat. Um, but I, and these are the, I just, nothing. But, uh, you know, here's the question though. You know, yes, the Democrats do get in there and they do do the campaigning, but Bruce, uh, I hate to go back to uh, the good pastor's analogy about the woman, but then once they get their vote, they don't really do much for them, do they? No, and thanks for having me. And listen, I, I totally ditto, co-sign, stamp exactly what uh, Pastor Darrell was saying. Look, I'm a former chairman here in Georgia, one of the largest counties in the in the country, and you know, I'll been a Republican since I was 18, you know, stuffing envelopes was my first volunteer gig in Texas. But, you know, the interesting thing is it's always never been that that's famous make the ask. I'm a business guy, been in retail sales, whatever, for many years, 20, 29, 27, my own business here. And there, there's, it comes to a point where if you want to make a deal, you first you got to make the ask. And the only person on the ballot that I saw in 2016, as well as 2020, about the conversation of why we lost these seats and Senate seats across the country is because that very simple ask, and the ask was, was not asked in black urban radio. It wasn't asked in black publication. It wasn't asked. It was window dressed, but the President Trump came. You remember what he said? He says, what the heck do you have to lose? He spoke directly at it and, and created, as Pastor Dell and I, the largest diversity coalition in Republican history, the, the, the so-called racist. Oh, come on, really? You know, and, and this, the, the other folks need to like, right, catch up. And that's why we laid down and lost here in Georgia. Listen, we, we didn't have one black round table here in Georgia. Now, everyone knows this is my town. You could make the call. I can put 100 people who look like me in a room. They might not be all Republicans, but they're independents. But there's a chance to have the ask, Dr. G. Like, you've got to be in an environment to make the ask in order to, to like, hey, I, you know, listen, I think if they really listen to Pastor Dell, a lot of us going on, we would have been in the high 20s for black votes. I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm keeping do you know, it real. Do you know, there's an interesting piece of history. Of course, we all know that it was the Republicans who who freed the slaves. We all know that the Democrats were the KKK and the Democrats were the slave owners. We all know all of this. But one piece of history that is often left out of this conversation is that it was considered rude to ask for votes. It was considered rude. People <laughs> felt like you you should, based on the policies in the platform, people should want to vote for you. And especially among Republicans, they were a more, a more genteel type that said that you do not ask for votes. People should look mm. at the planks in the Republican platform, should know, should know based on going to church that slavery is wrong and they should want to vote for the Republican platform and nobody should ask for it because that would be rude to ask for it and somehow disingenuous. And you almost wonder if some of that doesn't trickle down into current day Republican think, you know, deep thought, cognitive, whatever, and, and, and if that's part of what's going on there. But whatever it is, it needs to change because obviously the Democrats do ask and the Republicans don't ask. And that is perceived as a slight of sorts to the black community because I have heard this from my black friends over and over and over. They want to be asked for their vote. So we need to get that out of the way, right, fellas? 
Yeah, well, you're absolutely I, right, Jenna. And you know what it is? Historically, the Republican Party, especially in places like Georgia, didn't think they needed the black vote to win because they've been yep. winning for so long without the black vote. So why should I why should I try to do something I don't have to do? But it's been a huge wake up call. Once again, that sleeping giant has awakened. And you know what? Here's the thing they have to understand. The largest segment of undecided voters in America are black Americans, probably under mm -hmm. the age of 40. They don't have their party loyalty that their fathers and grandfathers have, but you have to solicit the vote and give them a reason to vote for you. If the Democrats are saying, vote for me, I'll do this, and the Republicans aren't saying anything, listen, if you don't think enough to campaign to me, how much will you think about representing me? And so that yeah. is the mindset. You don't feel That's I'm worthy enough for you to come and campaign to me. I don't think you're going to do a good job representing me. Yeah. And once again, the black community, black voters, black voters tend to vote the person over the party. The younger ones yeah. do. And that's We're the demographic, the that's the the show, demographic guys. we need to go after. You all so know I better. Have you go. Come on, We're just but warming thank up. Thank you for having me. I love you both. And thank you guys for joining me tonight. Thanks to everyone here at your new home for Real News, Real America's Voice, live from Studio 6B, up next with Damon and the crew. Hug your children. Love your God. Go boldly now and live the truth. Good night, everybody. Mm.